Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name's DJ, I'm one of your hosts, and this is another installment of Stories from the Trail. Each week, as part of our worship at Christ Community, we feature stories from people in our congregation. We want to hear more about what God is doing in the hearts of our people, how he's calling them to faith, and how they're joining with him, going out and making disciples day by day. This week, I had the opportunity to sit down with Peggy Berry. Peggy is one of our deacons here at Christ Community, and she told us her story about how God intruded into her little bubble in rural Kentucky growing up uh, and how he hasn't quit calling her forward ever since. So let's listen in as we get to hear Peggy's story. Uh, So here at Christ Community, as part of our regular worship, we like to tell stories because God is at work uh, all throughout this collection of people who are gathered here today. God isn't just at work on Sunday mornings and not just in the people who are up here up front, but he is at work Sunday through Saturday, uh, morning, noon, and night in the lives of every single person who is gathered. And it does our hearts good to hear about how he's at work and to hear about the changes that he is always doing and always working. And so Peggy is going to sit here and talk to us a little bit this morning about her story. Uh, Peggy is one of our new deacons here at Christ Community. Uh, And so Peggy, for those who haven't gotten to know you, which is probably a small portion of this congregation, but uh, for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, Uh, first off, thanks for allowing me to come and and speak. Um, You know, he sent me the questions in advance, of course, and it said, tell me about yourself and you know, when you're 69, well, almost 69 years old, there's a lot to tell. (laughs) So I thought we're not going to go all the way back, all the way there. We got time. But uh, what I thought was, I want to talk about in that question, my foundation. Hmm. Because I think for all of us, the way we were raised and and the way we were kind of brought up in those first years kind of sets a tone for who we are now. Hmm. Even if it's bad or if it's good, it sets that tone. So I was, I was raised on a farm in South Central Kentucky. Uh, it's sort of a settlement or community, I don't know what you call it, but um, it's kind of an idyllic place, I think, still. Um, it was settled in the 1700s, but where I come into this is um, my grandfather and his siblings, there were seven of them, kind of settled that loop. They, they all stayed there. And that's where I come from. That's where my mother came from. And everyone in in my community seemed like we were all related to one another. And that was good because they were my friends. They were my relatives. And um, we all, we grew up in church. It was not a Southern Baptist church. It was Cumberland Presbyterian. I don't know if anyone. I guess that's okay, right? I I, I hope so. (laughs) But it was a good good place. so I, I grew up in, the, in that environment, and um, honestly, DJ, I didn't know about poverty. I didn't know about wealth, because we were all the same. We were farmers. Uh, we worked, and we worked hard. Uh, my father was a um, farmer. We did dabbled in cattle, beef cattle. We dabbled in hogs. And one year, I remember, even we even raised sugar cane, which never did that again. Um, but and he was also a teacher. He was very educated when education was not popular for men of his age. He was ridiculed for that from his family because they thought it would ruin him. 
to be educated. Um, he was also a guide at Mammoth Cave. So it was, um, like I said, we, it was a very idyllic place to live and to grow up. Like we all worked hard, um, but I didn't know there was a world outside my bubble. Yeah. It was really a great bubble to be in. And the bubble's still there, but the world's moved in down there. Yeah. But uh, when my time in the uh, 50s and 60s and early 70s, it was definitely an idyllic bubble mm -hmm. to live in. So as you navigate life in that idyllic mm -hmm. bubble, what did it look like when Jesus decided to, to, to Okay, move? well that's a good story too because um, that happened in the bubble, mm -hmm. sorta. Um, we had anybody here remember what revivals are? Well, usually they have a beginning and an end. Ours had a beginning. <laughs> And the end only happened when the pastor said it did. So those revivals could go on for a week or two weeks every night. And uh, he was determined that people were going to be saved. He would, it would what, by hook or by crook, you were coming to that altar. Um, so it had been a slow revival, really slow. And my cousin and I sat kind of right back in here. My, she, we were only 15 days apart, so we were sort of twinsies and um we knew it was coming we just knew and we were kind of holding hands and we were both 11 and he was doing the altar call and nothing was happening and i said he's coming and she said oh maybe he'll wait and i said no he's coming and he came <laughs> he said girls it's time so uh anybody remember what a um morning bench is where you kneel and you pray in the Lord, you pray him in. And I remember that so well that she and I knelt together. And I remember my dad, I knew it was my dad because of his hand, he had huge hands and his forefinger and his thumb had been fused together from, a, he was in a fire. And that hand was really big and really rough. And I remember feeling his hand on my back as I was kneeling and people were praying for us and you pray in unison, I mean, it's not one person, then another person, then another person. Everyone prays at one time. It's very um, charismatic, I guess. So we were kneeling, and we had our little heads together, and I said, do you think it's taken yet? And she said, I don't know. I think we better stay a little longer. <laughs> so we did, and they kept praying, and my dad's hand kept squeezing and on my back, and it felt like it was getting larger and larger and larger. And finally, we raised our heads, and everyone was in hallelujah when we were saved. And that was my first. And I was baptized in a lake on our farm. It's still there. Uh, by the way, the farm that I grew up on, we, I, we still own that, my siblings and I. And we still go down to visit. It's just still very beautiful down there. So we were baptized in that lake, and uh, that was sort of the beginning. But I got one more little bitty piece to tell sure. about that. When I was 15... Uh, I knew that something was wrong with my dad and all that whole mess. You could tell that something was wrong. I thought he'd be proud of me. Mm. But there was questions and there was, there was a distance and there was, I, I, it didn't feel right. Mm. So when I was 15, uh, he told me that I was going to go to um, camp, Christian camp. It was Camp Joy. It was a Southern Baptist camp. By the way, my, my mother was Cumberland and he was Baptist. 
So I thought maybe some of that tension was she wanted me sprinkled and he wanted me immersed. Mm. I was immersed. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I'm going to make this short. We, I went to that camp and it was such a wonderful place and I got listening to the speakers and listening to the people and the testimonies. DJ, I got so sick. I wanted to go home. I was sick. I went back into the dorm and I lay down and I just, I got, I thought I'm just homesick. And my counselor came up and she said, Peggy, what's wrong? And I said, I'm just sick. And she said, do you know the Lord? I said, of course I do. I said, I've been baptized. She said, do you have a relationship with the Lord? And I said, just began to weep. You know, I just couldn't control it. And anyway, when I finally got myself together, she kind of walked me through all that and, and brought me into a real relationship with the Lord. And then and there, I accepted Christ mm. for the first time. Mm. And um, when my parents picked me up, uh, my parents did not believe in debt. So if we bought a new car, it was because they saved their money. And they picked me up in a brand new champagne-colored Impala. Anybody ever seen one of those? It looked like a boat. <laughs> I didn't even notice it. Mm. I did not notice that car. I got in the car, and I was just absolutely on fire for the Lord and telling them what had happened to me and that I was saved and so that was that was my saving experience it's yeah. something I will never forget yeah. it was all, it was the anointing of the Holy Spirit it's all it could have been yeah so well I love that you said at first you know the, the story started in that bubble yeah sort of and then then there's that step two that, that happened step two that was my first poke in the bubble yeah he's he's yeah. always he's always pushing us yeah. he's always calling us closer forward out yeah. um, and so tell us you know as you start walking forward from there uh, what does it look like well, as, he, as he changes you grows you over your he life yes he does he poked that bubble right then and there and and I did change right then and then you know you you, you grow and you flow you get grown and you fly and um, so I flew away and I still had the Lord with me I knew he was with me I knew I was saved I never had a minute I, I, I uh, doubted that but there were more than minutes that I strayed away. But I would, he would always draw me back to him. But there were, um, I, I think I, the way I can describe that is, I always had God on reserve. If things didn't work out quite right, then I would go to him immediately. If they didn't work out quite right, I would go to him immediately and, um, and pray. And then we would, I would get the relationship again. And I would do the, um, I will never, I will never, be this that far away from you again and on and on and, on. and it, it happened he stayed on reserve hmm. he was like um a, a sort of a gimme god um i'm, I'm hurt hmm. i need help but he was never there in the in the decision making you know if you re if you remember those of you who were here for josh ballard's story a few weeks ago was he was still in the back of the truck right he, oh, he yeah. wasn't up in the cab yeah, josh yeah he was in the back of my car <laughs> yeah i had a i had a pinto believe it or not <laughs> He was in the back of my hatchback. And when you needed directions, all right, God, which way are we going to go now? But yeah, most days you had it, huh? I had my or own direction. Thought. Only when the things went bad did I did I f fall to him. Yeah. Yes. And that's amazing that that's so often how we operate. Yeah. Because we think, well, I'm in control when things are going good, which we're not. But we no. have that illusion mm -hmm. that that only when things go wrong that illusion gets shattered and we realize exactly not only do I need you now but I actually needed you all along exactly and, and he's so gracious and kind because I, th I think of the way that we are if we had a friend who was like that who only needed us when things were we'd be like all right you know 
really, again? Like, right. where, where were you last week when we just wanted? Right. But he doesn't do that. I'm not sure we'd still be friends. No. I'm not sure. And yet, every time, he's, he's ready. He's and right he, there. He steps in. He never leaves. Yes. He never left. So he's kind. always there. But I did have him in the back seat. Hmm. Sometimes in the passenger, but never in the driver's yeah. seat, I don't think. Yeah. yeah. So as you've grown, uh, what has that process looked like of, of inviting him closer and closer? Mm -hmm. and, then, and then even into today, because we talked earlier, this, you know, he's never done. Never done. He's always, always pushing us forward. So what, what does that time of growth well, look like, and what does it look like today? That kind of lifestyle went on for a very, very long time, really more than half my life. And like I said, I never felt he was not there. I never felt I wasn't a Christian. or I, But that going to him during the time of desperation, I went to him uh, one time in 2013. I was absolutely encompassed with, I felt smothered. It was coming in from all sides. And it was on top of me, it was beside me, it was under me. And I, I was doing my journal, and I was, um, and I, I said, Lord, I, really, I give this, I am done. I can't do this anymore. I can't just come to you out of emergency. I said, I am in crisis, <laughs> and I will stay in crisis. If you'll, I want you with me all the time. I want you my leader. I want to be your follower. I want, I want you at the forefront of my life because I cannot do this. I cannot because I'm smothering. And I don't know what happened to my journal, but somehow it was across the room. And I was down on my knees, and I was praying. I don't know if I've told this story or not. But I honestly prayed for the Holy Spirit to enter me and to not let me go. Do what you have to to me. Whatever it is, I'm okay. I can face it. I will do it as long as you stay with me. And he has. He has brought me through a lot of different ups and downs. And, but he has stayed at that point in my life since then. At that point, I began a daily scripture reading and a daily prayer time. That was 10 years ago. And I continue that habit, pattern, whatever you call it, today. Some days are a little more fruitful than others, but I'm there. Yeah. I'm there. Every morning, I'm there. And uh, it has been the light and highlight of my life that one day in 2013 yeah. what what a powerful thing to say that i'll stay in crisis if that's where you are if that's where uh, you are i'll stay here reminds yeah. me better better is one day in your courts than a thousand yes. elsewhere yes. when we when you get a taste of his presence mm -hmm. and what it you know you you had that camp counselor ask you when you were 15 do you have a relationship mm -hmm. with him when you begin to experience what that relationship right. that communion feels like uh, it changes things, yeah. and, it, and it reorients everything. So, right, right. Well, you're you're starting a new season right now in a lot of different ways. Yeah. With the, you know, you're you're one of our first batch of deacons. You're yeah. doing some new things at work, um, and uh, so what is what is God teaching Peggy during this well, new season of life? This has been a little bit of a lesson where He's been in the forefront, but we've had a few few disagreements. <laughs> it tends um, to happen. A couple of disagreements we've had. I retired in. Um, uh, 2021 maybe in December and uh, then I stayed on contract for a little while and then I um, was home and it was I was retired and I was blissful and I was thinking this is a place to be and then I got a little restless so 
I went to ALC to do a little volunteering. You know, I thought, you know, I'm not doing anything to give back. I'm going to do a little volunteering here and started working with Elizabeth. And um, but I didn't volunteer. I went into volunteer DJ, and I do not know to this day what happened. But I'm working there now. <laughs> I'm working there, and I have tried twice to quit, and it didn't happen. She, my my director, would say, no. No, what do you need? And I'd tell her, and she gave it to me. And the next time, she said, no, it's not time. This is Satan. Get out of here. And, and so I'm still there, and I'm still I'm working at ALC. It's a very, very worthy place to work. I love the people we work with, and I love the job. I'm just not sure that I wanted to work. I was retired. So the, the Lord and I have had a few disagreements about this, but I did and I, and I fussed it. I, I kind of lamented to Blake and a lot of people. What am I, you know, I don't know what is going on here. Anyway, I've let that go. And I've told the Lord that I'll be here until you release me. He definitely released me from my first at Kentucky Baptist Convention. I felt that release totally and completely after 32 years. Completely. I said, Lord, I know you'll release me to this, from this when it's time. And until then, I'll do the best work I can. So that's where I am now. And then uh, the deacon, I'm very excited about that, to be one of the forerunners here. And, um, yeah, so I think the moral of this story is this. If you're on the cusp of retiring, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> it may just be beginning. And uh, that's what it is for me. So I'm kind of a beginning, a new process in life, a new way of life. And it's a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. So I'm, I'm excited to hear that. It's been a pleasure to, to just get to know you over the last couple of years and see the way that you respond to the way the Lord leads when he takes us in, because he always does, in directions we don't expect. Like mm -hmm. that, I think we think we've got it all planned out, but more often than not, mm -hmm. he, he takes us somewhere else. And your spirit and humility of being willing to say, all right, if that's where you're going, that's where I'll go is... That day in 2013, it was a sweet and complete surrender. Mm. And he has reminded me of that over and mm -hmm. over. I, you're mine now. Mm -hmm. You're mine. And he takes care of us all yes. along the way. Yes. Well, thanks for, for telling us your story. Um, and I'm going to pray. And then Blake is going to come and open up the word for us mm -hmm. as we continue to, um, to ask the Lord, God, keep changing us. Keep drawing us further in. Don't let us stop, be stagnant, but, uh, but grow our hearts just mm -hmm. the way he has over the years. So thank let's you. pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you are the best of friends to us, um, that you don't keep us at arm's length, even when we do the same to you, that you're always ready to forgive. Your mercies are new and fresh every morning. God, you don't hold a grudge like we do. You don't um, grow weary uh, like we do. But Father, you, you always are ready to, to call us close. You are always ready to draw near to us. You are always ready to forgive uh, and to strengthen and to bring renewed hope. And I thank you for, for Peggy's testimony uh, of your work in her life. I thank you that you broke into her bubble. And I thank you that you called her time and again uh, to remember your faithfulness and, and to be present where you are. Uh, and I pray that you would, um, God, teach all of us that lesson. Um, for some of us, maybe we need to learn it for the first time. Some of us need to learn it for the hundredth time, that, God, it is better to be where you are than wherever we might fancy that we're in control. Uh, so 
humble us, uh, change us, shape us, make us like Jesus. And uh, as we follow after you, may we point others in your direction um, as we walk day by day. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, DJ again. Thanks for listening to our story from the trail this week. And as you reflect on it, ask yourself, how is God writing your story right now, right here? What's your next step? And how can what you've heard today help you in taking it as you follow Jesus in faith? Whatever it looks like, grab your backpack and we'll see you out on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.